Father Nicholas, thank you so much for entering into this conversation. You're most welcome, and thank you for inviting me. What brought you to the United States, and in particular, Nebraska? Okay, so in 1998, um, we had an apostolic visitation. I was already working as a spiritual director um, at our major seminary in Malta, and we had the apostolic visitation. And, um, I mean, the, the visitation made by the Holy See to the various seminaries around the world. Um, the apostolic visitator appointed was a bishop from Scotland. And I remember asking him um, whether he knew, thinking again of Europe, um, whether he knew of any program, good program, for seminary spiritual directors. And he told me, I don't know of any program here in Europe, but I know that there is a good program which is beginning um, in the United States. And he mentioned to me the Institute for Priestly Formation. I got in touch through the internet um, with, the, with the Institute. I think it was Father Rich Gabuzda who was um, writing back to me. Um, well, 1999, it was already fully booked. Um, then I had to come in the year 2000, but then my ministry changed, and I was sent as chairperson of the Catholic Radio. After three years, I was sent back to the seminary. I asked my archbishop uh, whether I could come, and in 2003 um, was my first taste um, of IPF. I did the three-week seminar for seminary spiritual directors, and then, during that same year, I did the 30-day um, the retreat. Then, they continued to ask me um, to come and help out um, in the last four weeks of the 10-week program for seminarians um, during the summer. So, that's my connection with IPF. A long story. Well, isn't that what life is, is a journey? It is. I mean, Paul had an incredible one that brought him to Malta, and you had an incredible one that took you from Malta and brought you here. And what you've experienced, I would imagine, has, can we say, evolved or transformed in that deepening in that relationship, not only for your assistance in the seminarians helping them to encounter Christ, but it ends up transforming the person who's also doing the assisting, isn't certainly, it? Certainly, certainly. Um, it has helped me a lot um, in order to become more and more aware, um, first and foremost, of God's great, infinite love for me. It has put me in relationship with the Father, with God the Father. And although I should say that I was aware of the Holy Spirit, um, um, but I was also, I mean, um, this experience has made me aware of the importance of discernment in my daily life. I had heard of the examine of consciousness I recall when I was a seminarian, our spiritual director um, used to um, read to us the, the famous article by Father George Ashenbrenner, The Examine of Consciousness. However, you know, you're still young and you do not really appreciate um, what is being given to you. When I came over here, a seasoned priest, I should say, I mean, I was already 15 years into my priesthood, um, this year I am celebrating my 25th anniversary as a priest. Um, so it brought me kind of face to face with this big reality that is within me. This great gift that God has given me, his spirit, because he loves me, because he thirsts for me, because he wants me to be open to him and to let him um, unite me, uh, un un unite me to him, you know. So 
to, to introduce me into this communion with him. I, I remember um, I have a particular um, soft spot, I should say, to Mother Teresa. I met Mother Teresa in um, Calcutta in 1980. I went um, to do before, immediately before entering the seminary. So here we are speaking 33 years ago. Um, uh, I went to do a um, some voluntary, a period of voluntary work, missionary work, with the sisters and brothers of Mother Teresa, the missionaries of charity. And we used to go to, uh, for our daily mass, we used to go to the mother house of the missionaries of charity. And Mother Teresa used to be there um, every day, obviously with the exception of when she was perhaps traveling or visiting some other house. Um, and I recall the place where she used to sit uh, on the floor um, um, taken in by her relationship with the Lord, um, praying. Um, she was truly uh, a great example of union with God. Um, and I recall, as there is in every chapel um, of the missionaries of, chapel, uh, um, the, uh, of charity, the crucifix, and close to the cru to, um, and close to the crucifix, I thirst. And those two words in English um, really touched my heart. But it came alive when I came over here. I did the third day retreat, and I experienced the thirst that God has for me and the thirst that God has for every single person. That Jesus has given, his, has laid down his life for us so that not only to save us from our sins, I think when we say that, we are a little bit too minimalistic. Jesus I mean, although this is already a huge thing to do, that God becoming a human person in order to save us from our sins. But the most precious, as uh, the second letter of Peter tells us, the most precious thing that God, the, the most precious gift that God has given us is not really only our salvation, but the most precious thing is that we are given a share in the divine nature. So, if we read um, the second letter of Peter, chapter 1, um, verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, that through these you may escape from the corruption that is in the word because of passion, so that kind of the negative aspect in the sense of we need to get rid of that. Um, we need to detach ourselves from that. And then, and become partakers of the divine nature. That is the precious, the most precious gift. God loves us so much that he wants to give us a share in his own reality in his own life, in his own love. Now, what does that really mean? I don't really know, but um, I know that by experience that there is no boundary to God's love. That very beautiful verse in John chapter 13, um, wherein John is speaking about the... the uh, uh, the great love that Jesus is showing to his disciples. He is beginning the second part of his gospel. And over there, he, in verse, right in verse 1, having loved his own who were in the word, he loved them to the end. 
Now, to the end, it does not mean to the end of his life only, but it means also, I mean, to the intensity of is possible to him. And now he is God. So the intensity of his love is infinity. You know, so it is um, something that we cannot really imagine. And that is why St. Paul then in the letter to the Ephesians, um, chapter 3, verse 20, I mean, uh, over there, uh, St. Paul is telling us that God, I mean, God's love really goes beyond what we could ever think or imagine. Now to him who, by the power at work within us, is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. So, I remember during this um, Thursday retreat, I came um, face to face with all this reality, which really the Lord was preparing me for it. <laughs> I mean, through the different experiences. And over there, I, understand, uh, I understood God's love. What does that mean? the Father's love, the embrace of the Father to His prodigal Son, to His beloved Son, the invitation to come and enter uh, into His house and make it my home. Hmm? I mean, Romans chapter 8, Paul is saying, I mean, um, through the Spirit that we can call Abba Father, and we are no longer slaves, but we, come, we, we become adopted children, coheres with the Son. So having the same level um, of importance in, um, uh, in this house, at home, as the Son. So this is the great love. And... The more I came, um, the more I come over here, the more I share this experience with others, the more I feel God is saying to me, I thirst for your love. Eh? Would you satiate my love? And would you bring this love to others? Um, and to others, to whom? To everyone, but particularly to those who are poor, to those who uh, feel they are abandoned by me, God, to those who are, as Jesus says to Mother Teresa in her inspiration um, in September 1946, while she was journeying on the train from Calcutta to Darjeeling going for her annual retreat, I want you to take me to the dark holes of my people because I want to tell them how much I love them. And I think that that is our mission. First and foremost, to receive and respond to that love of God and then to become um, vehicles of this love, instruments of this love towards others, to bring this love to others. So, you know, I mean, there is so much that one could say about this that um, it's truly, I think this is the center of, the, really the central point, the central element of our faith, um, which is so beautiful. What would be the biggest blocks in our ability to be able to respond? I mean, we, we enter into that prayer we encounter Christ. We desire to oh, at least encounter him. We try our best, you know, to be open to that. What blocks us? Really, I believe now, again, over here, one could answer with um, several ways. But I think the uh, main block, would main blockage, would be... Uh, the fear of losing control. The fear of 
surrendering completely ourselves in the hands of the Father. And we fear that because we have as yet not made um, deep enough the experience of being loved and being accepted by the Father. I think, I think we are called to make that, um, and this is the basis of prayer at the end of the day. Because what's prayer? I mean, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we read that prayer is the personal relationship, the, the, the loving and personal relationship with the one true God. Uh, it's the first paragraph of, the, of part four of the Catechism. Um, now, if I accept that relationship, if I open myself to that relationship, if I begin to understand a little bit and to become aware more and more of the great infinite love, thirst that the Father has for me, I would certainly be more ready to surrender myself to Him. But it's difficult uh, to give the reign, uh, to pass over to God the reins of my chariot, <laughs> of my personal chariot to God and tell Him, now, you drive and you take me wherever you want. Most of the time, I think, I think there, I mean, we think there is one song by Frank Sinatra. Eh? I want to do it my way. Eh? And we think that my way, in, the sh in our short-sightedness, eh? we think that my way is the best way. We, uh, we, th we always think that, I mean, I know what's best for me. Mm -mm. God knows what's best for me. But I need to surrender to Him. I need to be open to His Spirit in order to understand what is good for me, or you know, um, and to and to let Him lead me. I think I think that is the main blockage because over there, from there, obviously, sin. Our sin comes. I mean, then my pride would follow, um, which is, I mean, according to if I'm not mistaken, the book of Proverbs, um, which is the kind of the root of all sinfulness, my pride, um, my stubbornness of heart, um, my closure on, onto God. I mean, all that comes from, from, I believe, from that fear of surrendering myself to Him. I mean, What's the greatness of Mary, our mother? Mary being without sin. Mary who was, who was full of grace, full of the Holy Spirit, totally open to the work of the Holy Spirit within her. She was completely ready to surrender herself to the Lord. What is the greatest work that Mary did? Her surrender to God. Here I am. Do with me whatever you want to. Here I am, your servant. You know, that, that fiat. Huh? Here I am. Hmm? So, that um, readiness to let God do whatever He wants with her. No, she gave Him the full freedom I'm not understanding, but I know that you love me, and I know that whatever you desire and whatever you will is for my good and the good of humanity. And the result of that surrender is Jesus, our Savior. I mean, what God did with Mary, God could do also with me. And with you. You know, so 
This is the great project of God for each and every human person. If we only allow him. There's a word that just keeps leaping in my heart as I'm listening to you. Just describe that so beautifully is the lack of trust that we have. Because when you surrender, that means that you have to trust that you will be taken care of, that you will be loved, maybe even more so that you won't be hurt. And isn't that our need to control all the different circumstances is because we just where fundamentally we don't know how to trust. Yeah, I mean, obviously we are living in a society um, wherein everything is telling us, pay attention, whom you trust, whom you open yourself to, whom you confide, uh, confide your secrets to. You know, so we are living in such a society because um, society has made us so vulnerable. Um, and we have, I mean, people can do harm to others, unfortunately, because we are selfish. Because we, don't, we do not want only to control ourselves. We want also to control others. So, trusting God, it's truly a leap of faith. Because we are living in this kind of society. And in order to Accept that there is someone who truly loves you unconditionally. Who truly loves me not because I merit it, but because he decided to love me before I even was in existence. We were loved into existence. To, to accept that, it's truly the leap of faith. And it's um, over there, I cannot do it on my own. I need also God's grace. Um, who, who's obviously ready to give, it, um, to give it to me fully. But I need, to, I need also to ask for it. Um, because as St. Teresa of Avila says, I mean, God wants to give us all his love, all graces. But because he does not want to impose on us, he wants us to ask for those graces. He wants us to be open in order to be able to receive those graces. So I think, I think um, living in our society today, um, I think it, it has always been difficult, but today it's even more difficult. Even because some people, unfortunately, very unfortunately, have not experienced that kind of love at home. So, there, there are instances where, wherein, for example, a person has had um, a good... Um, loving experience from his parents who, who, who used to love him or her, um, who, who used to take uh, care of him or her. Um, obviously, it's a little bit easier to make the passage from my parents to God. When that experience, that uh, basic experience is lacking, for a variety of reasons, obviously it's even more difficult because um, there is no springboard uh, to help me understand a little, at least a little bit more what it means for God to love me unconditionally. There are certain people who have 
have have had to struggle in in order to make their way in society who have experienced so much um, hurt and um, being put aside being being marginalized how are these people going to experience the, the, the love of the father they are going to the only way the only way is through our love through our acceptance through be through our being God's face to them how can we do that by our daily encounter with them and now I don't know I mean even even being for example um, at the supermarket um, so many times we are facing people and we just pass by um, we're complete strangers but even a smile sometimes even a nod who knows what happens in the um, in the heart of that person I remember uh, one particular anecdote from the life of Mother Teresa. Um, she was, um, if I'm not mistaken, in New York. Um, and she was going from one place to another, being taken by car. And at a given moment, she saw a person lying down on the street. And she asked the driver, "Stop! can you stop the car? I need to go down. And she went down and she was there speaking to this person who was who was asking for money mother teresa told him i mean i have really no money to give you but i have my love and so many people would have given something to that person but really did not consider that person as a person okay i mean I want to put my conscience at rest. I give you a bug or, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, a dollar or something, like a few cents, and I continue with my life. For Mother Teresa, it was completely different. For Mother Teresa, that person was Jesus, who was asking for her, for her love. And she was all there for that person, looking into his eyes, telling him, with her presence, with her eyes, I love you. Again, this can become dangerous sometimes. Because you, nev you never know whom you come across with. But God took the risk of loving us. We are called also with God's power to take the risk of loving others and to not to make any distinction um, whom we are going to show our love to. Um, we are called to be God's face to every human person that we encounter, that God puts on our way in our daily lives. Father, could the pain that we have felt in the past that has developed into this lack of trust or understanding of that great depth of love that God has for us, can it also hinder our ability to know how to discern? In particular, knowing when to act, when not to act, um, and also, you know, just in, in basic I, I want to say more than just decision-making, but how we live our, our lives out in the world because we get impulses, we get feelings, we get all these different things that say, do this, do that, do this. But they may not necessarily be coming from the Father. Um, we are uh, complicated human persons. <laughs> um, uh, there is the level of desire, but then there are also those areas, um, the wounds, the hurts, 
um, the mentality um, that we were raised in that influence us um, and somehow can become blockages. So, I would say, um, first and foremost, the honesty, the sincerity um, of coming to know ourselves and coming to and 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 to have and to have the great courage um, to encounter ourselves and to know what is blocking me um, and what is somehow influencing me in thinking this particular idea or, or another or, or what is driving me to do this or, or, or that thing. I, I, certainly, I certainly believe that um, one major area in, in our spiritual life is know thyself. Mm? And in order to know myself, and to be in touch with myself, I need a lot of courage. Mm? Because there are areas wherein I am not happy <laughs> to, be, to be there, to encounter. Mm? And, they, and these are my areas, eh? areas in my life, you know. So I need to take um, kind of responsibility for them, or else, I mean, I need to accept them, you know, that these things happen to me, for example. Another, another, um, another thing uh, which I feel is very helpful is my openness to the Word, to the Word of God. And over there, trying to listen with an open heart, not sifting the Word according to what suits me, but truly receiving God's word. Like over here, I do suggest, um, for example, um, if someone is um, doing this regularly, um, to take, let's say, the Gospel of St. Mark, which is the shortest Gospel, um, and do a lectio continua, meaning, um, reading one passage at a time every day, one passage after the other. Mm? So, leaving out no particular verses. Mm. Because sometimes, sometimes we tend to leave out those verses which we need to hear most. Mm? Kind of, oh, I don't understand that. Oh, no, I mean, I mean... I think Lectio Continua helps us to be open to the full Word of God. Um, thirdly, the need of guidance. I need to kind of uh, to, to have someone with whom I can open my heart to, uh, to, to whom I can speak, so that that person can shed light on the wisdom um, of my decisions, of what I'm thinking. And when you are letting yourself be guided, we need humility. We need openness, we need honesty, but most of all, uh, we need humility. You know, in the sense of, um, it's, it's over there that the Holy Spirit may truly mold us in, uh, into becoming more and more Christ-like, you know. Um, as we see also in um, throughout the uh, throughout the Bible, but particularly, let's focus on the New Testament. I mean, everyone has his own character. I mean, God does not want to bring us all uniform, the same. God does not want. I mean, our richness and the richness of character, the richness of the variety of interests that we have, reflects the infinity of richness of God. I mean, 
I cannot exasperate God. I mean, I cannot grasp completely God because God is far greater than I am. So, I reflect one aspect of God. Another person reflects another aspect of God. So, we are not afraid of being different. We are not afraid of variety. At the same time, we do find our union in God and in His Word. So, although there might be a variety of expressions, but we are one because we want to be, I mean, we are followers of, of Jesus. We are, we, we are receiving God's Word. So, I would say, um, in answer to, um, to your question, knowing yourself, although it is difficult, Secondly, um, putting ourselves face to face with the Word of God, hmm? which St. James um, um, uses the beautiful image, the Word of God as being a mirror. Huh? It shows me who I am, hmm? I mean, my present condition in this present moment. At the same time, it, it shows me God's ideal for me. Um, the third aspect is um, the need for guidance. I think, I think uh, you know, those three things are very important and very essential um, in our responding to God's word in our daily lives. Father, do you think there is a, a great importance as well in that? ability to be able to know ourselves is to be and as you have brought forward um, an honesty at least with ourselves that we don't listen to the voice that would say to us keep that hidden that's so dark that's such a secret don't bring that forward don't look at it keep it keep it there. So you not only do you not share it with someone you're seeking guidance from, not only do you dismiss it so you skip that verse in the Bible that you may not want, but you can't even be honest with yourself because there's something that's saying, I can't sure. look at that. Um, obviously, um, certain circumstances of um, some persons might be very difficult. And they can become truly a source of deep hurts. I mean, I do have um, experience of people um, who, you know, I mean, have this kind of experience. So it, it can be very difficult. The evil one would entice us to keep that hidden. Don't open Pandora's box. You know, keep that hidden. Keep it to yourself. It serves nothing to speak about it. Why Jesus, our Savior, tells us, if you truly want to be free, if you truly want to experience my love, at the deepest core of your being. You need to bring that to me. You need to be released from that kind of slavery, whatever it is. And we need to bring it to Jesus. Um, it's the way towards complete freedom. It's the way in order uh, for us to experience God's personal deep love, that area will become the entry point for God's refreshing water, for God's salvation into my life. 
that area which today I look at with fear becomes the area wherein I experience salvation. So, I always kind of um, feel that, uh, and this is also true in many different circumstances, like, for example, when we repeat um, a particular sin, the evil one would tell you, oh, come on, you're going to confess? Why? You know that you're going to fall again, no? Don't you? So why are you going to confess? He wants to keep us there on the, on the ground, crumbling, kind of, you know? Why Jesus, looking at us in truth, he does not dismiss our sin, but he tells us, rise, let's move forward. So every time that we hear within ourselves, keep that hidden. Why are you trying again? Why, why um, do you want to be open? Why do you want to be sincere? That is certainly not coming from someone who loves us. That is certainly coming from the evil one. Whenever you hear a, a voice within you which is encouraging you to rise, to have faith, even in your ability of making a step forward, that is Jesus who is calling you to make that step forward, to believe in yourself, to, to, to believe the, of, um, in the Holy Spirit who is within you and who is asking you to begin that journey that would eventually lead you to the experience of love that would eventually lead you to freedom. So, this is the invitation. Um, because he loves us, Jesus, Jesus leaves us free. He keeps on knocking. I mean, these words might be the words um, used by Jesus to knock at your heart. Now, you can just dismiss them, or you, you, you can just open your heart and say, okay, I, I, I accept your word, Jesus, I accept your invitation, and I want you to lead me. But that depends on me. Jesus will never force himself into our hearts. He knocks insistently because he loves us. But then it depends on me whether to open or not. One of the most compelling images that we're given, especially it comes from the Gospel of John, is one that can speak to the heart of a child but also to speak to a heart of a 30-year-old man or a 45-year-old housewife or anyone who has ever uh, had that struggle with trust. And that's of that image of the Good Shepherd from John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I love you so much that I will lay down my life for you. Let me carry you. It's a, it's a beautiful image that is so much more than just a nice allegory or metaphor. It is speaking to us about God's great love. I would use over here the word compassion, which etymologically speaking, where is the word compassion coming from? Cum? Patire, to feel with, to be with someone 
who is there continually. Um, it's interesting um, that John 10, 11 is followed then by verses 12 and 13, speaking about the hireling. The hireling um, is the one who, once he sees the wolf coming, he escapes. But the good shepherd, no. The, the, the good shepherd is there and will be there huh, in order to protect the sheep. He is there in order to give his life for the sheep. Um, and, and it's interesting that the, 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 the preceding verse, uh, so John chapter 10, verse 10, uh, Jesus is speaking about himself. Why did he come? He, I came that you may have life and that you may have life in abundance. And what is this life in abundance? It's, it's, it's eternal life. And what's eternal life? It's the life of God. So, um, the image of the Good Shepherd is an image which really, um, uh, it's not new to the New Testament, as we know. I mean, uh, we have that beautiful Psalm 23, you know, which, which obviously is speaking to us about um, Jesus um, as God, um, the, the, the Good Shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. And that's the central theme. God is with me. It's interesting. What is God's name? According to Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. I am who I, who I am. What does that mean? It means God's continual presence. I am with you. What is the name of Jesus? Uh, given, I mean, the, uh, let's say the alternate name given to Jesus uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. He is the Emmanuel, God with us. And how does the, the Gospel of Matthew end? I am with you always till the end of days. So this is God who is manifesting himself as being compassionate. If there is something true of the Old Testament, uh, is the way how God uh, reveals himself as the compassionate God. Um, a beautiful image that um, we find in the book of um, Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 11. Um, Really, this verse um, is sandwiched, I should say, um, between verses which speak about the might, uh, the might of God, the power of God, the omnipotence of God, of the like, like um, in verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, as, and his recompense before him. And then... Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure? It speaks of the omnipotence of God. God who is everything, who is mighty. And there in the middle, the ham of the sandwich. Verse 11, he will feed his flock like a shepherd tenderness. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who are those who are with young? The mother sheep who have just given birth to their little lambs. 
They cannot walk fast. So he walks with them, gently. This is the image, the great image of the compassion of God. God who is with us. God who feels with us. God who and not, I mean, suffers with us, but not only. He enters in and through Jesus in, in, in the incarnation. He enters into our suffering. He, he enters into our death out of love in order to save us from this slavery of death, of sin, wherein we cannot do anything. So, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd. The beauty of that adjective, the good shepherd. We look into the Greek original. It's the beautiful shepherd. Hopoimen hokalos. Meaning the beauty it's, uh, which attracts. Because it is goodness. The beauty which is goodness in the depth of one's being which attracts others. When I am lifted up, I will draw to myself all men. How is Jesus going to draw to himself all men? If not through the laying down of his life. Because that is the measure of his love. That is how much he loves us. Saint Paul, in his speech to the presbyters at Miletus, the presbyters of Ephesus, Acts chapter 20. Saint Peter, uh, in his first letter, chapter 1, they translate that love by saying the shedding of the blood. Jesus has won us, the people of God, for himself. How? By shedding his blood for us. So, the blood which means life, blood which means everything. He loves us so much that he has given us everything. I mean the pierced heart of Jesus. This is the shepherd who is giving himself for the sheep. Someone might think, okay, but now the shepherd is dead, and now the sheep have no longer a shepherd. Mm -mm. It's not that. That's not a good reading. I mean, the shepherd is dead. So that through his death, out of love, the sheep might have life, li life and life in abundance. Because that shepherd who is dead is entering our death. And from there, he will raise up, um, he will rise up again, victorious over death, over selfishness, over pride, over sin. And he will give us the true freedom that we need. So, um, Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, verse 16, wherein um, God, as the shepherd, who is taking care of the sick, of those who are weak, uh, the single sheep, he knows us by name. It's not a question of saving us as a crowd. He is saving us one by one. I can feel God's love for me. And that is a love wherein Jesus is giving himself to me. Hmm? With the depth of his being. Father, I think it's also quite poignant, especially given what you've just shared with us, that the church universally, when it speaks of a new evangelization, in not so much about a, a new evangelization where we should have more radio or more internet or more this or more that, but the new evangelization was more for, well, they would ultimately say the new the the purpose of the new evangelization 
so the church can become a listening church. And the symbol, the, the model they held up for that is the Good Shepherd. It, it's uh, quite a great deal to ponder, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, it is certainly very remarkable, you know. I mean, because the Good Shepherd, I mean, even the fathers of the church, um, they have, I mean, they used the image of the Good Shepherd as a way how to speak not only of Jesus, but also of particularly, although not uniquely, um, of the priest. The priest who needs to be in close relationship with Jesus in order to become a shepherd of the, sh of the flock. I mean, that remarkable scene in John chapter 15, Simon, um, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? I love you, Lord. Feed my lambs. Once, twice, three times. You know everything, Lord. You know that I love you. Peter's shepherding cannot be separated from his love for Jesus. Note over there, I mean, this is a remark that St. Augustine makes, that Jesus tells Peter, feed not the lambs, feed my lambs. They are so dear to him. He has shed his blood for them. So Peter needs to take care of those lambs because they, those are the lambs of Jesus. And he can take care well of those lambs only if he is related to Jesus. Only if he knows what Jesus wants of him. Because there is that relationship of love. Because there is that attentiveness of the under-shepherd to the chief shepherd. You know? So, in this, uh, I feel today we need to, uh, the church needs to, uh, when, when I say the church, I mean each and every one of us, Need to consider, need to consider first and foremost this very basic relationship with Jesus, but also the way how Jesus deals with each and every single person. How he loves that person. How he is ready to give his life. Every person is important. And what is God's preference? When he comes to the love, he, lo he loves everyone. But especially, and not only, uh, in the Old Testament, but then again in the New Testament, Jesus. Um, <clears throat> God loves, I mean, the, if there is a preference of God, is for the orphans, for the widows, for the oppressed, for the poor ones. If there is a particular preference that Jesus has, and um, he was kind of crit um, harshly criticized for that by the Pharisees um, and the scribes, was because he used to eat with publicans and sinners. Now, what does that tell us for our pastoral ministry? I mean, I think it does, it, it needs to challenge us. And Pope Francis is setting a great example. Um, his last visit um, to, to, to Brazil, when he went to visit um, the favela, meeting with poor people, telling them that I would like to come and visit you one by one in, uh, in your houses and to be with you. This is Jesus who is speaking. And this is the attitude that we 
everyone in the church. The Pope is setting the example. Bishops, priests, laypersons. We need to set that example, I mean, we need to follow that example of God, of Jesus, of reaching out to those who are farthest away from the church. But in order to do that, we need to be filled with the love of the Father. We need to be open to God's plan and not to our plans and, to no, and not to our projects. As we said earlier on in this interview, what is the greatest work that Mary did when she surrendered to the Spirit of God? Here I am, the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. And that's what we need to continue to do, even in our pastoral work. Uh, we, need to con we need to be open to the Spirit. The church is not ours. The church is not mine. He is the shepherd. I am only his servant. I am only an under-shepherd. He is the one who needs to lead his church. So I need to be continually, I mean, as an ambassador, if, if an ambassador cuts the links, the connection with his government, what, what kind of ambassador is he? Or is she? You know, I mean, an ambassador is a spokesperson for, I mean, an intelligent spokesperson, obviously, uh, of one's government. And so we, St. Paul, 2 Corinthians, speaks to us, uh, speaks of us being ambassadors of Christ. Now, how can we become ambassadors of Christ if we are not connected to Christ? So the new evangelization is authenticity of our lives, its relationship with Jesus is, because of that, reaching out um, to others, especially to those who are on, as Pope Francis would put it, uh, on the margins of society. I love how he has said, uh, he asked pastors, he goes, do you smell like your sheep? Do you smell like your flock? Yeah, I mean, and that, that, particular, that particular expression brings out the closeness that there should be between the, sh the shepherd and the sheep. There is no shepherd if there is no relation with the sheep. And there is no flock if there is no one shepherd. So, yeah, having the smell of the sheep means to be one with them, to share their life, um, to, give, to lay down my life for them, to be there ready to serve them at every moment of their life, whenever they need me, particularly, uh, when they are passing through difficult patches of their life. It is there that we need to be present. And those moments are never easy moments, both for the persons who are passing through that moment, but also for those who are accompanying them. The most difficult thing is to weep with those who are weeping. And most of the time, I mean, it's very difficult. Why? Uh, because it's uneasy to be there. It's difficult to be there. But that's the compassion of God. He wants us to be there with these people and then helping these people to make the journey towards freedom, whatever that may mean for that person at that moment. Yeah, he came into the world to enter our pain, didn't he? He took on pain. He became he took our pain. pain. I mean, uh, now, um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he became, I mean, that, that verb is so strong. I mean, he who is righteousness became sin. Became sin. Not only kind of, I mean, what Paul is trying to say over there, I think, is not only 
entering our sin and but remaining aloof from from it but taking it he who is god he who is righteousness itself he who is goodness itself makes this great decision unexplainable decision of taking upon himself becoming sin in order to break the grip of sin on humanity from within and so now sin has no longer any grip on us if we ask the power of the redemption of Jesus into our hearts and so Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 could shout out shout at um, shout out at um, sin and say where is your sting O dead uh, where is your you know why because we're free now thanks to Jesus and thanks to his Paschal mystery passion death resurrection ascension Father Nicholas I, I, I wish we had more time I'm, I'm hoping that God will make that available to us but in the in the interim for that person who is listening to you right now wherever they're at whether in a car they're in a radio they're they're in their home wherever they're walking and they want to start right now they want to turn they want to have that moment right now what's the first thing they do i think at this present moment I, what, what i would suggest my friend whoever you are to pause for a moment look into the eyes of Jesus see over there someone who truly cares for you who truly loves you who is telling you I love you but not only I thirst for you allow Jesus allow that look to enter deep into your being into your heart and to touch those areas into in your heart wherein you feel most lonely most hurt most wounded Jesus wants to be also your savior once you have allowed that to happen then perhaps go and find someone find a priest who could listen to you to whom you can open your heart and receive God's mercy God's love the Father's embrace God loves you so much thank you Father Nicholas you're most welcome and God bless